This is Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. The author of Hebrews writes, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since for, therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to make his like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Be God. Please be seated. Last month, I officiated a wedding, and afterwards, one of the guests came up to me to thank me for my sermon. Now, most of his comments were pretty uh, ordinary, except for a question that he asked me that I must admit kind of caught me off guard. He asked me, Pastor, are you a theologian? And I kind of looked at him, and I thought about all these old guys I know who are theologians. <laughs> Wasn't quite sure how to answer, and then I replied in a way that I think probably caught him off guard. I said, yes, I am a theologian, and so are you. And then he looked at me and he said, there's no way I could possibly be a theologian. I don't believe what you believe. I don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I looked at him and I said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You have your theology and I have mine. See, late R.C. Sproul said that everyone is a theologian. The question is, just what kind of theology do you have? And whether you believe in God or not, your theology, what you think about God, is shaped somehow by different inputs in your life, whether it's the culture around you, your circumstances, what a pastor says on a Sunday morning. But you see the same thing for all of the way that we kind of think about how we've come to faith and the faith that we believe in. The question we must ask ourselves is, just how personal is it really? You see, this morning, we must be reminded that right theology, good theology, biblical theology, must lead to a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a difference between knowing a lot about God and being known by God. There is a difference between believing that Jesus existed 2,000 years ago and believing that Jesus is right now working in us. Today is Reformation Sunday. The great reformer John Calvin put it this way. He said, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless 
and has no value. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. Okay, what does that mean? It means that this morning, if you reject Christianity, you must realize that you are not rejecting a set of propositions. You are rejecting a person. You are rejecting his love, his compassion. In the same way, this morning, if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, if you believe in the gospel, that means you trust in a person and you trust in his promises in the same way that you would trust the promises of a friend. Calvin says that unless we become one with Jesus, the gospel is useless to us. So this morning, how do we do that? How do we become one with Jesus? Maybe a better question is this. How has Jesus become one with us? Very quickly, we'll see this in three ways, the book of Hebrews. The first way is this. Jesus is our family. To be one with Jesus means that Jesus is our family. I want you to look at verse 11. Author of Hebrews says, He who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that is all those who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation, all have one source. Literally, in the original Greek, they are one. What does it mean to be one with Jesus? The Apostle Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, that we are in Christ Jesus, over 160 times in his letters. The doctrine is known as union with Christ. Perhaps there is not a more important doctrine in the Christian faith, and yet it remains a mystery to us. We see it over and over and over again in the New Testament. I just want to give you a few examples this morning. Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ. Galatians 2.20, we have been crucified with Christ Colossians 2.12, we have been buried with Christ. Romans 6.3, we have been baptized into Christ. Romans 6.5, we have been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Ephesians 2.6, and we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I could go on and on and on and on. Over and over and over again, the Bible makes reference, it describes our union, our being one with Jesus. Yet what does that mean? It's as mysterious to us as the incarnation because Jesus had to become one of us in order for us to be united to him in our humanity. We need some kind of image, some kind of picture, some kind of metaphor to help us to understand what does it mean to be one with Jesus? The author of Hebrews gives us one. He gives us the image of family. I want you to look at verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. To be one with Christ 
is to recognize that we have the same Father in heaven. If we have the same Father in heaven, that makes us his children too. What the author of Hebrews is saying, that means that Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, is your brother. What is more, he is not ashamed to call you family. This past April, I went on a silent retreat. God has a tendency to mess with me on those. He revealed something to me that I am still learning, or or probably more accurately, I'm failing to learn. You see, I see God, I see Jesus as my Savior. I see him as my King. I see him as my Lord. But I have a hard time seeing Jesus as my friend. In many ways, it's easier just to keep him at a distance. But to allow him to be my friend, that is so difficult for me. The author of Hebrews is taking it a step further. He's saying, not only is Jesus your friend, Jesus is your brother. He came down and took on flesh to dwell with us, to call us his own, so much so that he is now calling you family, and he is not ashamed. Do you hear that this morning? He is not ashamed to call you brother. He is not ashamed to call you sister. Why? Because he has sanctified you. He has and is making you holy. I wonder, are you ashamed? Are you ashamed of the family of God? Are you ashamed of yourself to be counted among the family of God? Are you even ashamed of Jesus? Hear these words. He is pleased to call you brother. He's pleased to call you sister. When we are one with Jesus, we are his family. Second, to be one with Jesus means that Jesus is our freedom. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's all those who are in Christ, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. The author of Hebrews is making two very important points. We are children of God. And if we're children of God, that means we share in his flesh and blood. Why is that so important? Because it took someone who shares in our flesh and blood, it took a human being to deliver us from the schemes of the devil. How do we know this to be true? We look back on Genesis, Genesis 3.15. We're told ever since the fall, Humanity has been at war with Satan. That God put enmity between us. And in that same verse, we are promised that one day the seed of the woman, her offspring, the offspring of Eve, would be bruised. But then after he would be bruised, he would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus Christ took on flesh and became human to crush the head of the serpent, to make us one with him so much so that he is our representative and he has freed us from the dominion of the devil. Not only that, 
But the author of Hebrews says, we've been freed from slavery, the slavery of sin. You and I desperately want freedom. Most decisions that we make even every single day, even today, we make in the quest of personal autonomy and personal freedom. The problem is, is when we search for freedom outside of God, those things always enslave us. You cannot free yourself from the dominion of the devil. Jesus Christ became one with us to be our freedom. The last thing I want us to see this morning is this. To be one with Jesus means that Jesus is our forgiveness. Verse 17, author of Hebrews tells us that therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. What does that mean? That means every one of our experiences, Jesus had. You must recognize that to be one with us, Jesus took on flesh. He really did live a life here on earth, and he experienced every single thing that we experience. He was tempted like we are. He grieved over the loss of a loved one like we do. He felt the pain and anguish and agony of death. And he suffered like you and I suffer. And yet he was without sin. Prophet Isaiah says, surely he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Author of Hebrews says it this way in verse 18. He says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. How did he help us? How did he help us? In verse 17, author of Hebrews tells us that in becoming like us and taking on our flesh and experiencing everything that we've experienced, he has become a merciful and faithful high priest. High priest was one who was a mediator. He stood between the people of God and God himself, and he made atonement for them so that they might be forgiven of their sins. This morning, the author of Hebrews is reminding us that Jesus, our great high priest, didn't just make propitiation. He is our propitiation. In other words, he is our sacrifice. To be one with Jesus is to recognize that we are one with his death. When Jesus died, if you believe in Jesus as your salvation, that means that your sin was put to death on the cross. And not only that, but when Jesus rose again on the third day, to trust in the gospel is to believe that his victory over sin and death is now your victory over sin and death. To be one with Jesus means that he is our forgiveness. He died in our place and he rose again in our place so that we might now be called the children of God so that we might be his family. What does it look like to be one with Jesus Christ? There's not a greater picture than the sacrament of communion. 
This morning as we come forward for communion, we are declaring that we have been united to Christ. United through his body broken for us. United through his blood shed for us. But not only have been we united to him and are forgiven, it means we are now united to one another. And so this morning as you consider coming to the table, I want you to ask yourself this. What kind of theology do I have? Do I have the kind of faith that sees Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Have you placed your trust in him in the same way that you would trust the promises of a friend? Or have you rejected him? Have you rejected his promises? Have you failed to recognize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to taste death for you? This morning, if you have placed your hope, your trust in Jesus, Christ is calling you to come and be with him, to come dwell with him, to abide with him through the sacrament of communion. But if you have not placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, remain where you are and consider this. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, took on flesh to die and to rise again so that all those who believe in him might be so united with him that they might be raised to new life. May that be true of you this morning. May it be true of us as the family of God. Join me in praying as we prepare our hearts to come to the table. Father, we ask that you would be with us now. Stir in our hearts and give us a greater vision of what it means to be united to your son, Jesus to his death and resurrection for our salvation and help us to see what it means to be the family of God. We ask in Jesus' name.